The CFOs that get it, get it. The CFOs that don't, don't. Let's talk about the CFO, the Chief Financial Officer. There are two kinds of CFOs. One who's struggling to keep up, spreadsheets everywhere, manual processes. It takes weeks to close the books. The other kind is on top of their game. Automated reports, inventory, commerce, and HR flow into the financial model seamlessly. NetSuite is everything you need to grow all in one place. That's why NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system used by over 28,000 growing businesses. 93% of businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Head to netsuite.com slash c-suite for a special one-of-a-kind financing offer. That's netsuite.com slash c-suite. netsuite.com slash c-suite. This is Profit from the Inside with Joel Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. And now, here's your host, Joel Block. Which is more important, sales or marketing? In your company, there probably is a fight like most companies fight, and everybody's screaming for resources. But according to Dwight Holcomb, our guest today, the two ought to be married together, and there's an optimal way to do that. So, Dwight, welcome to the show, and we look forward to hearing you tell us what that uh, magical marriage is going to look like. (laughs) Thanks, Joel. I can't wait to hear how it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) Well, tell us, so what does a marriage between sales and marketing look like? I mean, frequently, um, these two departments, which really do do belong working together, frequently do not work together. So tell us uh, what you think. Yeah, I, you know, I find that a lot of traditional marketing companies, they, you know, they're really focused on lead generation. And I believe you have to have the marriage between the two, because if, if you just start throwing leads at a sales team, and they're not closing, the sales team will blame the marketing. They'll say, well, they're bad leads. And the marketing will say, no, you guys just don't know how to close them. And it's usually a mixture of the two. So when you get deep enough into the sales process, you have to also determine, is the sales process working? I mean, are they, are they using the CRM the right way? Do they have the right steps? You know, are there five or are there 10 steps that are needed to close the sale? Are they missing anything? Um, are they doing the follow-up and follow-through correctly? Do they have the right tools they need? And then if they're not closing, is there enough intelligence gathering going on to say, this is why it's not closing. So let's, you know, it's the wrong industry segment or it's the, lo- the wrong job title. We're talking to the wrong people. So you can go back to the beginning of the whole process, create the right strategy to create, to go after your ideal customer profile, make sure it's the best that it can be and then rinse and repeat the process. But if you don't have those two groups communicating uh, effectively, you won't uncover that. It, you know, it's just this, this fight and blame game that happens between the two. All right, listen, there's, there's 10 different things going on here. You've talked about a lot of different things. So let's just isolate one thing at a time. Um, First of all, uh, sales blames marketing for poor leads, Uh, marketing blames sales for poor closing. And, and they, they both scream and yell. How do you isolate the responsibility without blaming because, because blame isn't helpful but how do you isolate the problem so that the problem can be corrected so that both sides can do better? That is the million dollar question. <laughs> so, well, that's we, why uh, what do you, man, because you're the million dollar man. So let's have it. That's right. 
That's right. So we had we had a, an example of this would be a client that we had where this was before I was really doing this. And when we kind of first started doing this about five years ago, I was really more focused on the marketing side. And we had a client that was this exact same situation was happening. The salesperson was saying, you know, this is, these are bad leads. We're not, you know, nothing's, they're, they're not good leads. And, you know, we were, we were cranking them out and, and I was looking at who they were and it looked very credible to me. And so, so, so wait, just, said, just for clarification, were you the outsourced marketing company in that relationship? Yes, we were okay. a fractional CMO with uh, a little virtual department of a little virtual marketing department set up to execute on all these, uh, you know, building up the building the leads and the, putting the funnel together and sending send them over to the sales guys. So in, in this, uh, so then, in this example, your firm was developing the leads and you turn them over to the sales department and the sales department, who's the client that's paying you is complaining that the leads aren't good enough. And you're saying these are great leads. Uh, it's probably the salespeople that don't know how to close. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And so I started looking at the leads and I said, these look like pretty good companies and these are CEOs of the company. And, you know, there was, there was about 32 of these meetings that have been set up in just a little more than two months. And, and which is a lot, you know, at a mid, you know, 50 to a hundred employee size company. And so I said, all right, something's not right here. We got to take a look. So we, we finally got the CEO to basically force the sales guy to open up his, his sales force and let us look at, you know, what was going on. And I looked down the list of all the different meetings that had occurred in, in the CRM, and they were all at a probability of 10% to close. And I said, how's that even possible? How can they all be 10%? And so we had the CEO on the phone, phone with us. So we had the authority to really drill down and ask questions. And we said, well, what's going on here? Tell me about your sales meeting. And he said, well, I get him on the phone. After you guys send him over, I get him on the phone. And I show them our demo of our software. And then I tell them if, if they like what they see, you know, let me know and get back to us. And I said, well, that's the problem. I mean, they're not doing any discovery. They're not, you know, performing a good consultative sales approach of asking a lot of good questions. My favorite is, you know, by Neil Rackham in his book, Spin Selling, where you ask a lot of very specific questions, getting them to feel their own pain and internalize the problem and what it means to solve it. They weren't doing any of that. And so that's when I realized, you know what, this is happening in more than one occasion, in more, more than one instance. We need, to, we need to shift what we're doing here and get more involved in the sales process. And what I found, the, the way we got around this with future clients is we basically got the sales team or the VP of sales or VP of development to buy in on, we're not trying to take over your sales process. We're not trying to tell you what to do. We're here as a support mechanism. Your guys are probably digging in the weeds and losing stuff because they're tired, you know, we have one CEO who's his own sales guy. He, he's taking a sales call. He's in his car. He gets out of his car and he doesn't enter any notes. He doesn't use the CRM. He forgets everything. So we said, look, we're going to have a, a court person who does all the work for you. We're going to input the notes. We're going to send the meeting follow-up. We're going to set the tasks of people that have to execute on things that are needed for the next sales meeting. And they love that because they, they, that most sales teams don't like all the busy work. And most sales teams don't use their CRM system appropriately. So when we, as a marketing company, come in and say, we're going to support that also, it's really selfishly doing it so that we don't get blamed. But they see it as this you know, great opportunity to have somebody else take on the heavy lifting that they don't want to do themselves. So you do. So what you're talking about is marketing. But in order to really make the marketing successful, you need to add an element of sales support because the salespeople frequently uh, don't do a lot of the detail work that the marketing department needs to verify how things are going. 
That, that's correct. That's right. correct. And, now, and, you know, not not just supporting the sales side too, but we'll we'll work with them too to find out are there things in the sales process that marketing and sales can kind of work together to create really unique ways of approaching a client or a prospect, unique ways of getting in front of them, customizing or personalizing their outreach itself, so that the things that they're doing they have more impact and they're they they stand out or set them aside from everybody else that's blasting them with all kind of messaging you know, spamming them and everything else. We want to really craft. And I think that's part of marketing's job is to make sure that the salesperson has a toolkit of things and a method of doing it that's different and unique to anyone else out there doing it. Well, part of part of marketing's job is to get sales to understand what their job is. Like, I think marketing is a much more uh, less understood uh, business than selling is. Selling is asking for money. I mean, marketing is is different than that. It's getting people to be aware of who you are. And so it's, it's much more difficult to put your finger on it. But uh, one of the things that, uh, that you said also is figuring out exactly who the right uh, company is, the right personality, the right issue. And in, in marketing, that's called a persona, right? I mean, where you define yeah. a persona. So how does a company define a persona of a prospective client uh, in a, in, with, with whatever degree of accuracy so that they can go look for that kind of person. Okay, so that, I, yeah, I agree. That I think that's a really important part of this. We call it the ideal customer profile, or ICP. And it's one of the very first things that we do when we sit down with a client and, and before we do anything is we say, well, specifically, who is your best fit customer? And, and who do you want to work with also? You know, so let's define that person. What, are they, you know, what do they look like uh, in terms of what industry, what problem do they have? So one, a great example I have of this is we had a client and they do, really, they, they do a great job of Salesforce integration and development. So they'll work with companies that, that aren't using Salesforce effectively and then maybe they'll integrate it with other systems and other software. So when we first asked them this, they said, well, we want to, we can do it for anybody. So we don't want to miss out on any market opportunity. Just market it to everybody. We're Salesforce. And I said, that, that's great and everything. But for the purpose of marketing, we really have to... It's from you know, the, the method from um, uh, Crossing the Chasm, the book Crossing the Chasm, where you have to establish a beachhead with a very hyper-focused, laser-targeted market segment. And so what we did was we asked them, well, what clients have you done this for? And so we went through their client list and they found one they'd done for an insurance agency that was had a product called AMS 360, a software AMS 360. So when we then looked at it and said, do you have trouble with uh, duplicate entry between Salesforce and AMS 360? And we put that in the marketing messaging. People who are an from an insurance organization who have that exact software and that exact same problem they see it and say, oh my goodness, this is our exact situation. For, and it's, they have a solution just for us, for insurance agencies with this software. So now when, if anybody else who just does Salesforce they, you know, or is competing against that, they're usually not going to get the business because they, the person with the problem feels they resonate so well with somebody that comes in solving their exact problem for their exact industry. So that's kind of the first step of this process that I believe it makes just about every campaign successful. You know, one of the things that, uh, that you're talking about, uh, kind of what resonates for me, is that smaller companies, entrepreneurial businesses, big companies are, are very good at this, but smaller companies, 
they don't want to lose any opportunity ever. They want every opportunity possible. So they basically say all people can be our customers all the time, anywhere, every day. And, and effectively, if everybody's your customer, no one's your customer. And, yeah. and so they're, they're generally afraid. A lot of entrepreneurial businesses are afraid to start fine tuning because when they fine tune, they're going to leave people out. But the people they're going to leave out are probably not going to buy from them anyway because they're hearing all sorts of noise. So what you're saying is by picking perfect prospects and really fine tuning and really honing in, the likelihood of them selling bigger dollar contracts gets more real. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's, it's, I think it's almost cliche at this point to say that, like you have to be very clear about your target, but it's surprising how many people don't do it. And it's also surprising how hard it is to introspectively do it. So it's easy to tell somebody you need to do this, but most people have a hard time, including myself and our company. It's hard to look internally and say, well, these things I'm telling you to do, we're also going to do the same thing, which until I started doing that and drinking my own medicine, I don't believe we would have had near the success we've had if I hadn't just taken our own advice and said, we're going to focus on a specific market and a specific vertical and with specific problems. And so we only serve software and technology companies. That's still pretty broad, but it's we turn away people all the time that say we're in the we're retail or we're uh, we're consumer consumer packaged goods or we're in the government or medical industry. We know different industries that don't have any form of technology tied to them. We won't deal with them, and it and it's it's actually really increased our business just by doing that. Well, the other thing is that it increases referrals because insurance companies know other insurance companies. And, yeah. and so they're likely to refer you to other insurance companies that, that they feel are non-competitive or whatever. But um, so let's go back to the concept of developing a persona. What I heard you say was that you, what'd you call it? ICP? Yeah. Ideal customer profile. Okay. That, that you develop that by looking at a real previous customer. So you take somebody who's really, really already working with somebody and that becomes the ideal customer. I mean, it can. I mean, if it's a, I've worked with startups before where they don't, they don't really have anybody to draw from. So in that case, we'll, we'll take a look at a couple of different variables. But in most cases, I'll, I will just ask the question: If you had a favorite that you could work with, who would that be? And then let's talk about, you know, what are they? What's the job title of the decision maker you need to go after? You know, where? And then, then you start determining what platforms they hang out on and everything else based on what you know about their level and their title and their industry. And, and once you have that information, you know, what's the next step? How do you then go about finding similar people? I know that like Facebook and Instagram, they have these lookalike campaigns where you can take the one profile and find people that look like the same profile and generate leads based on that. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So we, we will do uh, lookalike campaigns. So the first, one of our better campaigns just in LinkedIn. So we'll, We'll manage somebody's a CEO or a high-level person in the company. We'll help them ma help manage their profile on LinkedIn and reach out to that exact target to other high-level people. If, if we can go CEO, we will. If it's a really large organization, maybe it's a director or a VP. But in, in most cases, we're trying to hit the CEO. And once we build up a list there, the other nice thing is you, you can pull that list out because uh, there's many people that won't connect. I mean, typically in a LinkedIn campaign, you're going to see about 30% connection rate. So you you send out 100 a day, about 30% of those people will actually connect with you. 
and then maybe one to three percent will get into a meeting. And so that you still have a lot, 97 to 99 percent that are not in a meeting in the course of that month. So you pull that data out of LinkedIn, then you take it over into uh, into Facebook. Well, first you have to do some data cleanup because you know the the data is probably 30 percent accurate. So if you do a good data scrub on it, you can get it close to 80 or 90 percent. You then load that into Facebook, and you can target those people exactly in Facebook, but then you can also create a lookalike audience. So it'll say, look, these are very targeted people specific to an industry and with an exact job title of somebody you want as a best fit customer. They didn't, they connected with you on LinkedIn, but they didn't ever reply to you. So now let's go over here and put a message in front of them on a, in some kind of an ad on Facebook. And so that's a really effective way because now they've kind of seen you, but now they may, they pop across information about your company, especially if you're using, you know, uh, pain questions that resonate with what their specific problem uh, that you're trying to solve is. Everybody else is just noise. You don't care. But if somebody has that problem through this volume approach, you're going to find people when they see your message, like the example with the uh, insurance agent with AMS 360 and Salesforce, if they see that, they're going to say, oh my goodness, what a coincidence. We have this problem. I was just talking to Joe over in accounting and we got to figure out how to stop this duplicate entry. Uh, so let's talk to these guys. And they're, they're now pursuing you to set up that meeting because you have their solution. Well, you know, uh, actually, it's not a coincidence at all because you did a good job on the research on the front end. So you've created your own coincidence, really. Yeah. So how do you uh, figure out when the problem is with the lead and when the problem is with the selling side? Hmm. You know what I feel that, you know, in this process, so, okay, the, so let me share the other phase of So after we did the LinkedIn, the other thing that we do is we'll put them in an e email automation sequence and we'll have an assistant email reach out and say, Hey, uh, Hey John, you connected with our CEO, Joel on LinkedIn. And uh, he wanted to set up an introduction call with you. Um, are you available to meet this, this week or next week? And then an hour later, the email comes from you through the automation system that says, yeah, thanks for setting this up, Monica. Uh, yeah, John, thanks for connecting on LinkedIn. Looking forward to our meeting. She then follows up an hour later through the automation system saying, yeah, happy to set this up and then follows up in a series. So now it's a different platform. It's, it's a different person reaching out and it looks like a conversation. So they don't feel like it's spam and, it's, and it builds credibility for you because you have an assistant setting up a meeting for the CEO, you. And you're, you're qualifying it because you met on LinkedIn. You're not just some random person. So once we have that happening, um, you know, there, we're not, when somebody sees this message across these, they're, everybody's really busy. So even if they have the problem, sometimes they don't see it until one, and, and maybe their method, maybe people don't go into the LinkedIn inbox and that's okay. We're going to hit them either on Facebook or, and then we, we'll follow that as a third phase with telemarketing. We'll actually call their office and ask for a meeting. Somewhere in one of those mediums, they're going to, you know, some people are on email more, some people are in LinkedIn, some people are phone, phone people. But when they finally get the message, if they have that problem, they're going to pursue you. So that's to me what stops the problem of chasing, what I call chasing, educating, and convincing. Because most sales people, they're just blasting people and staying and keeping on after, after a certain amount of time, we just stop trying to contact a person. Because we've given it a shot across several different platforms. The people that need it, they're going to respond. And then they're asking you for the meeting. So that, that chasing, educating, and, and convincing goes away. 
because now they already have, you know, they have the problem. So that to me is the, the way to eliminate that whole process of is a lead qualified or not, because they start self-qualifying. You know, we talk a lot about the inside track on this show because, uh, you know, there are people who are better at some things than others. And, you know, when you start talking about the details of how these campaigns are organized, I mean, that's really the inside track to the marketing side. Is it really understanding how to mirror one audience from another audience? Uh, you know, how to create these lookalikes, how to create these campaigns. One of the, one of the questions that I always have, and this has been a debate that I've been in a, a couple times recently, is you're talking about having an assistant call, you're talking about sending emails, you're doing this and that. Uh, what about sending a calendar link? Like, if you're interested, uh, just click here and let us know that. I mean, you know, a lot of people uh, think those are fantastic. Some people think it's like the worst, most impersonal thing in the world. Uh, you know, what is your opinion? I use it constantly. I live and die by my calendar link. So it's, I do also give them the option. Typically, I'll say, in the, whether it's an automated email campaign or whether I personally reach out, I'll usually say, I'll have my assistant, Monica, reach out and you know, schedule a time for us. However, you can just, here's also a link to my direct calendar if you want to pick a time that's best for you. Because I find that sometimes people, I appreciate it. I'll just click somebody's link, look at my calendar, set a time. Especially if it's something I'm interested in, I'm just going to go ahead and set the time. It definitely is more efficient than the old process of, you know, hey, Joel, you want to meet? Yeah, let, let's meet. How's Thursday? And then you send me a message back. Maybe I get back to a day later and, you know, I say, well, I can't do Thursday. How's next Monday? By the time you get it, maybe we could spend two weeks doing that. Just find one date <laughs> to talk. It's crazy. Yeah. So this really eliminates that. Now, I have also seen there's an AI tool out there called, um, I think it's Amy. or Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it too. It, yeah. It's okay, but it still doesn't solve that problem of there's still some back and forth that happens. And, and the funny thing is I sent my calendar link, not knowing it was art, an artificial intelligence uh, bot. And, and she actually came back and said, sorry, I'm just a bot. I can't handle this. <laughs> I can't do a link. <laughs> it was hilarious. But uh, to me, just giving somebody direct access to my calendar, is, is, uh, it works so well. I still do give them the option of having my assistant you know, do it, and she'll just send a couple of times she sees on the calendar. But uh, the, I am a big proponent of those links. I, I'll throw them in in the LinkedIn campaigns. I'll put them in the email. They're always part of my signature. So, yeah, I think it's it's definitely made a huge difference in it as a time saver. You know, one of the things that I think that the people who are just absolutely the best at what they do, uh, and these are people who tend to be experts with followings, is they build a tribe and they get people who are like-minded or interested in what it is that they're good at doing uh, to join them in their quest, follow them on Instagram, follow them on LinkedIn, maybe pull them off LinkedIn or Facebook onto an email list so that they can correspond with them directly. Um, that's what I do, you know, for myself, I've got a pretty good size following and I correspond with those people. And then I have a calendar link. And what I'll say is if you're interested in talking to me about this topic, click the link and I call that raise your hand. So like you, I, I also uh, live and die by the calendar link. I mean, I put it out there. Uh, you know, you'd be surprised that not all that many people click. I mean, you would think like, like, well, gee, everybody would click, but they don't really just the people who are very interested will click and they'll, they'll get on the phone and they'll talk to you about whatever the topic is you want to discuss. And, but I, I just bring it up that there are some people who just think it is terribly offensive to them uh, that they have to click a link. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're living from 20 years ago. I don't know. 
but it's a discussion that happens. Now, I do agree. Sometimes if it's a friend of yours, you pick up the phone and you call them. But, you know, but even sometimes, hey, listen, you know, even if sometimes a friend, hey, listen, let me know what works for you and we'll, we'll talk, you know. Just the world's gotten busy, I guess. I do find that in LinkedIn, it, people, I, I don't know what it is about LinkedIn, but when I put the link to my calendar in there, I don't have a very good sign up rate by just giving them the link. So that's when I really started shifting to, well, give me your email address and I'll have my assistant Monica reach out to, to then she will reach out to them and, and then also include the link. She'll say, here's his availability, but if you want to find another time, here's the link. So I have since doing that, I haven't seen any real complaints or heard any real complaints about that. Uh, the, the other thing I want to mention about the, the scheduling link, which is to me so important, is that it has reminders. So I have I use a service called VCITA, V-C-I-T-A. I've used them all. Calendly, Schedule Once, uh, you can book.me. There's a million of them. Microsoft has one called Bookings. So if you have an Office 365 account, it's already free as part of that service. Uh, if you use HubSpot CRM, the sales version has a, a meeting link. It's just about everybody has a link now. But <clears throat> what I really love about ours is that uh, I can sign up for some text messages and reminders. So it'll send somebody, I think it's three total, the day before, two hours before, and five or 15 minutes before the meeting. They get an email and a text saying your meeting is about to start in 10 minutes or five minutes or whatever it is. So my show up rate of people getting onto that call with me is it, go, it goes way up because now they're reminded because i i'm like anybody else i have a million things going on i see stuff on my calendar especially if it's a vendor i'm going to talk to i might blow it off but if i get that reminder saying you know you're going to meet with this guy in 10 minutes i'm like yeah i did i made the commitment i'm gonna go ahead and get on i don't know what it is about it but those reminders have just really made a huge difference so that's the thing i think is one of the most valuable pieces of having a calendar what about, um, you know, another thing that I always like to talk about, you know, having been in the venture capital business for a long time, I like to talk about disruption and helping companies to be disruption proof. Is the sales and marketing model being disrupted? And what are things we can do to make it somewhat disruption proof? So let's just talk first about disruption. Is the, is the old sales and, model, uh, sales and marketing model changing? Is it broken? Is it still working? What's happened in the last some years, you know, whatever that is? Yeah, traditional, you know, I, I, when I was, uh, I worked in telecom for a number of years selling, you know, telecommunication services. And so we used to, I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. We actually used to walk to high rise buildings and go up and down the elevator and, you know, walk in the office and get a card and come back and start calling everybody. I mean, that is absolutely dead. That's been disrupted. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> so the big change, though, it's, it's not so much the closing process in terms of, you know, what do you say to somebody on a phone call? How do you, you, know, you still need to show them value. You still need to, you know, interview the heck out of them and really understand their business to try to come up with a solution when you're talking larger B2B sales in particular. But the, what's really been disrupted is the method of getting in front of those people. So it, they're using technology and all these methods. You're, you're not having to walk up and down a building in person uh, or get business cards and sit there and bang on phones all day long. The, the, uh, the process has been segmented out by different technologies, which help drive in those people, which are, they're more curated. They're, you know, they're, it's a more personal approach. And just like I was saying before, now you're spending less time, you know, just, 
getting buying some list of 2,000 people off of some you know uh, list house. You're not doing that anymore. Just hoping you're throwing darts at the wall and hoping something sticks. It's a very targeted approach. So you you go out using digital technology to define who. Well, first you define who you're going to go out to. Then you use that digital technology to define that criteria specifically. You pull the data or you you go reach out in that data. So when people see the message, it's so tailored for them that now when you get on the call, that call still happens. Uh, and, and there's all kind of other ways to follow up and, and stand out and be unique in this process. So one of so one that I would say was really made a difference in the sales process is the use of video. So I, I started doing this and now I work with clients to get them to do it. Where we, I use a tool called Vidyard, the, the paid version, which I know you use called BombBomb. Uh, it's, it's one of the best ways to get in front of somebody you've never met where you may be connected with them on LinkedIn and, and you can target say 10 top people in a week. And I send them an email and it's me on the screen. And I just, I'll even hold up a whiteboard and say, hi, Joel. And then in that thumbnail of that image is posted into the video, into the email and it has a little play button on it. So if you get a message from somebody you don't really know, and it says, hi, Joel, and it says a video a picture of, a, of the person doing it with a video play button, the chances of you opening that went through the roof. Yeah. Because it's a message to you. It's a, I made a message to you, Joel, from Dwight to Joel. It's not a blast to many, many people. So that message right there, at the very least, they're going to listen to your message. And if you have a good one-liner that you know says, here's most people struggle with this, so you, you know, we've invented this thing that makes your life this much easier. They're at least now going to listen more than, you know, I go through my email. I get hundreds of emails a day. I don't look at half of them because I just don't have time. But if I saw an email that actually had my name on it in the email, I would open that. I might actually talk. That's what happened. That's how I got a hold of when I first started using bomb bomb is because that's what they did to me. You know, so, so what I, what I'm hearing you say uh, is really that um, selling maybe hasn't changed all that much. Although I would, I would imagine it has because there was door to door selling in the old days and now it's more discovery spin selling type of models that are more consultative. And, and so we've gotten more sophisticated, but what's changed hugely is marketing and the way we target leads and the way we uncover the specificity that we're not just randomly sending a bunch of stuff out to a bunch of people that we're being much more specific. And then we have to be better sellers because now we're dealing with more specific contacts, which probably costs more to, to get in front of because uh, you know, you have to specifically find those people. So that's pretty fascinating. So the inside track for people that are not doing those kinds of techniques, if, you, if you're doing them, you're on the inside. If you're not doing them, if you're not highly targeting your prospects, what do you, what do you do? How do you get started? How do you, how do you start doing that? Because people are going to listen and they're going to go, gee, I, I want to highly target my prospects because that would make it easier to sell and close. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, I mean, you have you have to start somewhere. Uh, one of the best ways is to just find people that that are successful and try to start modeling the way that they're doing it. I mean, it just I think that's that's what kind of got me into really figuring out a better way. Is I just started looking around, saying, surely there's a better way to do this. I'm beating my head against a wall, and it's not that those ways don't work. It's just that you'll get put out of business eventually because everybody else becomes so much more efficient that they, that they'll win business faster. And, and the people that are doing it inefficiently, will just, 
they won't, there's too much cost over time and they'll go out of business. Um, so to me, it's, it's looking at every area of the business. It's the sales process. It's even efficiency, like the calendar thing. There's a million of these little tools, but you have to stay, um, connected to people who are doing these things and, and, you know, whether it's a mastermind group or, you know, buying training or an online course, I think having a group of people you actually talk to and can, you know, share ideas with maybe a mastermind might be the best way to go because you can hear from other people what, what's working for you and, and then compare notes because then you're kind of forced to come to the table too. You don't want to be the, the, the guy that's never adding any value, but if you've got something to share and can share it and contribute, you're going to learn and, you know, you're going to get and learn at the same time. So I think that's probably one of the best ways to look for people that you can surround yourself with and communicate with who are doing something in a similar space that can, you know, help share these things. I guess that'd be the, the way I'd recommend it for somebody just trying to take that first step. Because there's so, what, so many things. What's crystal yeah. clear is that if you don't get on the inside track and use the techniques that are current and modern, uh, then you're going to find yourself uh, on the outside and the outside you're eventually going to fall out of the circle because you just become uh, non-competitive. And, and that's clear and obvious from this discussion, uh, which is a pretty interesting outcome. It's, it's probably a distressing outcome for some people, but you either have to get yourself onto the inside with, with, uh, with what everybody who's sharp is doing, or you're going to find that you're going to be a dinosaur and you will be disrupted right out of business. So part of the way to be disruption proof is to be, uh, you know, adopting you know, newer technologies. Now, the hard question about technology is which technology do you adopt? Because, uh, you know, there's all these new things coming up all the time. Uh, which gadget do you buy? Which technology, which software, which platform, which whatever uh, do you use? Because they're, they're just always coming up. And that's, that's a hard one to evaluate. And I'm not going to put you on the spot about that, but, but that's certainly a hard one. So, all right, well, listen, so, uh, let's have uh, any closing thoughts about, uh, you know, what kind of, what other things companies can do to get the inside track in their marketing uh, efforts or some of their selling efforts. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, just kind of that last point, one thing I'll say that's, that's the encouraging part of all that is that, yeah, it's discouraging if you're not the person doing it, but it doesn't take much to get it going. I mean, there's so many new advanced tools now and they're not hard to start using. They're becoming so much more user friendly that, if you've not really done much and you want to jump in right now, it's a good time to jump. It's always a good time to jump in. But the other great news about this is if you're that little company or that entrepreneur that starts doing this stuff, there's going to be so many people that just never do it. They, they get vapor lock and they can't figure it out. They're, they're, they get stuck in a rut and they just can't find a way out. And if you're the person that can just do it and start utilizing these tools and get and become efficient and, and better in these processes, what will happen is when those people go away, they're going to lose their customers. And those customers are going to have to have somewhere to go. And so you're going to fill that void. So more and more opportunity will come to those people who just keep doing this. It's, it's kind of, I mean, it's happened so many times in this, this uh, technological cycle. You know, even like in the, uh, the dot-com boom and uh, even in trading, you know, people that were doing trading before, you couldn't direct trade. All of a sudden, people could direct trade and all those all those brokers out there are just going, oh, what am I going to do? A lot of them lost their jobs. Well, the guys that started using the technology, they became, they filled that void. And so people started, you know, they just started clamoring to people that knew what they were doing and were more efficient. So I think that's the good news in all this is that if you just take those first steps, you're going to outdo half the people out there that are just stuck in their ways and, 
and can't make that change. I, I, I think you're right. I can't, I can't help but think that you're right. And I mean, we've seen it over and over again that the people who don't keep up, they don't switch, that they don't uh, keep up with the times. Uh, they become dinosaurs and they fall out of business. And it's just a matter of time before their customer base uh, needs to be swallowed up somewhere else. So uh, that's a reason to be positive and to stay uh, upbeat about adopting these new technologies. So, well, listen, man, Dwight, thank you very much for sharing. You're, you're a wealth of knowledge. I mean, I, I, I go to you frequently for this kind of advice, and, and I appreciate you sharing this uh, with our group here. So um, any last comment? You want to you tell anybody where they can get hold of you? Yeah, sure. First of all, thank you, Joel, for having me. It's, you know, it's been great becoming a, you've been, you're a great friend to me and, and I really appreciate all of our, you know, our common areas of interest. And you, likewise, you've helped me so much in, in so many great areas of uh, advising me and with groups that we're both a part of. So I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, you, my company's called HC Development. Our website's hcdevelopment.com. Um, my, my speaking site is just dwightholcomb.com and I'm just finishing publishing my book. Uh, it's leancmo.com. The lean CMO is basically this whole process of just what we're talking about where you take a small budget and you do a lot with it by using technology and resources. And you know, it's, it's the one problem with a lot of big companies is they're, they're missing the boat. They're going to lose out a lot of business. And these entrepreneurs are coming up. They're innovative and they're, and they're thinking they're entrepreneurial and they're going to eat their lunch. So that's kind of the whole premise. It's just like what we're talking about today. Well, listen, it's uh, it's a scary thought for some uh, you know some people that are uh, less than enthusiastic about their businesses. So if you're not uh, if you're not running, you're getting run over. Is kind of what the bottom line is. So <laughs> listen, right. thank you very much. Really appreciate you being on the show with us, and we'll look forward to uh, to catching up another time soon. You got it. Thank you, Joel. Thanks. You've been listening to Profit from the Inside with Joe Block. Strategies to give your business the inside track. For more insights and to learn more, visit joelblock.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.